This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. All right, let's um, let's bow our heads for a uh, for a word of prayer. Loving Father and our God, we are so thankful for the privilege of being here today. Thankful for the opportunity to step aside from the normal routines of life and to spend time with you, spend time in your word. We pray, dear Lord, that as we uh, open the scriptures and and attempt to understand more clearly the revolution that took place in the book of Acts and the catalyst for that revolution, um, I pray that our eyes, the eyes of our understanding might be opened. And I pray that we might might again be, be drawn to the Savior, to Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. All right. Now, we, our first two presentations dealt with a new way to read. And we looked at um, this, this new way of reading and understanding the Bible that Jesus gave. And so we are going to <clears throat> now see another example of that in practice in um, In Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read uh, Peter's sermon here. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 14, Acts chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, And hearken to my words, for these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So Peter is telling those who are witnessing what is taking place that what you are seeing is actually a fulfillment of prophecy. Yeah, it's early in the day. It's early in the day. So, um, okay. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it, and it shall come to pass, he's quoting Joel, in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above. And signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. I don't know about you. Let me just pause right there. I don't know about you, but I'm thinking of myself uh, right as I'm as I read that. I'm like, why in the world is this brother talking about blood and fire and vapor and and all of these other things? I'm like, what what is this really? What is he trying to get at? And why would that be of any importance to his hearers? We'll get there. Verse 22, ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, 
ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. So he's talking about the resurrection as we, we discussed in our last presentation. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. So in the experience of David and in the writings of David, the apostle Peter, looking at these through the messianic lens, applies the things that David wrote about some concerning his own experience. He applies them now to what the Messiah would experience in his resurrection. Men and brethren. Let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried. In other words, he was David was not writing of his own resurrection. He's both dead and buried. And his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, loins, according to the flesh, he will raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Remember, for those of you who are here. We said that one of the messianic prophecies dealt with the succession of prophets and of kings. He says David was not speaking of himself because David is both dead and buried. His grave, his tomb is still here with us. But God did tell David that he would raise up seed who would sit on his throne even forever. We talked about that in one of the previous presentations. Oh, can, 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 can we finish? Please, please, please. Messianic, the Messiah, concerning the Messiah. That's what that means. Yes, okay. Messianic. Because I've heard of Messianic Jews. Right, that's Jews who have accepted the Messiah, or they have accepted Christ. Okay, all right, no problem, no problem. So, he's seeing this before, verse 31, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. I hope those of you who have been here, you're seeing now how he's applying what David wrote, and he's saying David couldn't have been writing this about himself. So he had to be writing concerning someone else. Guess what, folks? I'm going to tell you who he was writing about. He was writing about the same one who you crucified. This is the thrust now of Peter's sermon. Verse 32, this Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and and Christ. So you see what he just did. He just takes the words of David and shows them that and I'm, I might be repeating myself, but I don't care. He shows them David was not talking about himself. David was talking about someone else. David even called this person my Lord. And he says, I'm going to tell you who this person is, whoever 
he is, he had to be killed or die so he could first be resurrected and then sit on the throne of David. This is who he is. It's the same Jesus whom you have crucified. Now, what had just happened? What led Peter into, into all of this? What did the people see? What did they see? They heard the disciples speaking and preaching in other languages, in their languages, in, you know, the languages of all the people who were gathered there. Yes or no? They said, this is crazy. We've never seen anything like this. These guys must be drunk. Peter and what he's just shared is giving an explanation of what has taken place. All right. He begins his explanation by going to the book of Joel. Now, now, mind you, what were those who were speaking in tongues? What were they talking about? Were they just speaking in tongues saying, hello, how are you doing? It's a good day to see you. It's a good day to be here. Praise the Lord. What, what, what were they doing? What were they saying? They were they were preaching about Jesus and him crucified in the languages of those who were there gathered. What do we call that? What were they sharing? What were they giving? They were preaching the gospel in the languages of those who were there. All right. Now. (laughs) How did they get the ability to preach the gospel in these other languages? Okay, the Holy Spirit had been poured out. Upon them, right? The Holy Spirit had been poured out. Notice what what he says here in verse 33. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the what? The promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. The promise of the Holy Ghost. Turn with me to Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 14. Are you there? Galatians 3, verse 14, that the blessing of the blessing of who? That the blessed, stop, stop, stop looking at, stop, look, look up here, look up here. <laughs> what is the blessing of Abraham? Okay, now look back. Now you can look back. Now you can look back. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through, the next word say, that we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith. So according to what Paul writes in Galatians chapter three, verse 14, the promise or excuse me, the blessing of Abraham is the receiving or excuse me, the reception of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's go back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord, verse 1, now the Lord has said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house 
unto a land that I will show thee and I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a what? A blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And what do the next words say? In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, um, the blessing, the blessing of Abraham. The blessing of Abraham was to come upon how many? The blessing of Abraham was to come on all families of the earth. Did you see that? I'm not making that up. I'm not creating that. This is not something that jumped out of Conway's head. Right. You see that in the scriptures. Right. The blessing of Abraham was to come on all families of the earth. Now, take a look. Take a look. Go from Genesis to the book of Joel. This is what Peter used in his sermon. Joel, now chapter two. Joel, chapter two. Are you there? All right. Verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon. I will pour out my spirit upon. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids. In those days will I pour out my spirit. I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass. Now, this is the result. Now, what did God say is going to happen? What's going to be poured out upon all flesh? God says, my spirit is going to be poured out upon all flesh. Now we're about to read the result of the spirit of God being poured out upon all flesh. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be what? Shall be delivered or shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord hath said and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So the spirit of God is going to be poured out on all flesh. And when the spirit of God is poured out on all flesh, it will give men or it will provide men with an opportunity to call on the name of the Lord. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord, then would be they would be saved. All right. So when we when we turn to Acts chapter two, when Peter steps out and Peter begins to preach and he says, That what the prophet Joel has spoken of this day is fulfilled in your sight. Now, we didn't see the blood, the fire and the smoke yet. So that's how we know that there is a there's a later uh, last day or eschatological application to to Joel's prophecy as well. But Peter says this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your sight. Why? Because the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon those who were there in the upper room. And you told me that they went out speaking in other tongues and you told me they weren't just giving high fives and telling people how you're doing, but they were preaching what? 
They were preaching the gospel. And as a result of their preaching of the gospel, it was to give men or to bring men. Okay, so the spirit is poured out. Men would be brought as a result of the outpouring of the spirit. They would be brought to the place where they would call on the name of the Lord. And God says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord at that time will be saved. When Peter finished preaching, what happened? They called on the name of the Lord. When Peter finished preaching, they called on the name of the Lord. And as many as called on the name of the Lord that same day, they were baptized. They were saved. So here it is. Uh, The apostle Paul tells us in Galatians chapter three, verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham, the key to the blessing of Abraham was none other than Jesus himself, because it was only by the way. All families of the earth being blessed, all families of the earth being blessed was that was the ultimate goal of Jesus. Now, there's. Several ways that you can extrapolate and you can do this, that and the other. But ultimately, according to what Peter preached here on Acts in Acts chapter two and what we read in Joel chapter two, apparently what Jesus's goal was, was that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all flesh because Jesus understood that when that happened, that it would bring men to a state of being or a state of mind where they would be moved to call on the Lord. And Jesus knew that when they call on the name of the Lord at that time, salvation would be available to each and every one of them. Have you ever wondered? Have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't spend? Well, well, first, let me ask you, was Jesus the greatest preacher this world has ever seen? Yeah. I mean, you can't get much better than that. I mean, he can read your mind and tell you what you think. And I know what you think. And stop that right now. I mean, you can't get much better than that. And that's what Jesus Was But Jesus didn't invest his time in preaching. Jesus didn't spend it. I mean, come on. If if I'm Jesus, I'm thinking, man, I only got three and a half years. Okay, a public ministry. Okay, let's line it up. I'm going to preach on the North American continent. I want to hit Africa. I'm hitting Far East Asia. I'm hitting. Jesus didn't do that. That wasn't his mission. In fact, one of the most puzzling statements that you'll find is um, when Jesus says to his disciples, it is expedient for you that I go. It's expedient for you that I go. And I know, you know, I'm looking at that and if I'm one of the disciples, I'm saying, Jesus, man, you're tripping again. How is it expedient for me that you go? I mean, if you're Jesus... If you're the Messiah, if you're God, how on earth is it expedient for you that I go? There is no way that it's best for me if you leave. Yet Jesus had something else in mind. And I believe Jesus was looking back at the promise that had been given to Abraham, that through Abraham's seed. And then you can read in that same book of Galatians. Paul says that it was not seeds referring to plural or many, but it was seed referring to one. That is Christ. So through Abraham's seed, that is through Christ, all families of the earth would be blessed. Jesus knew and Jesus understood that his life and his mission, his ministry was the key to unlocking the greatest gift that heaven could ever bestow. 
And that was the gift of the spirit. He knew that his life and his death was the only way to access that. And that's why the Bible said there in Galatians 3, 14, that through Jesus, the Holy Spirit would be shed on the Gentiles or on all flesh. Now, why was Jesus? Why was he so? um, Why was he so passionate about that? In fact, let me ask you this question. When will when will this world end? Well, let me ask it a different way. When will Jesus come? Now, don't give me that when the character of Christ is. No, no. Take that out. (laughs) When will Jesus return in an eschatological or a last day context? What must take place before Jesus can return? This gospel must be preached to in all the world as a witness, which means that everyone must be given an opportunity to do what? In the language of Joel and in the language of, uh, well, yeah, in the language of Joel and in the language of Romans as well, Romans chapter 10. It means that every man, woman, boy or girl on the face of planet Earth must be given an opportunity to call on the name of the Lord. Everyone must be given that opportunity. What's that? Great controversy. I don't know what it says, but I'm assuming it's in harmony with what I'm saying now. Right, right. And how how is every creature under heaven in our time and in our generation going to be able to have that chance? It's not going to be through satellite evangelistic series. It's not going to be through YouTube and the Internet. It's going to be the same way that Joel prophesied. Joel said it shall come to pass in the last days that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Now, the Holy Spirit is poured out not just upon not just upon those um, who receive the power to be able to go and preach and teach. But believe me that the spirit's influence is working in the lives of those who are listening as well. The only way that this will take place is if the Holy Spirit is poured out on God's people again. That's the only way. So the key to this promise, you know, sometimes we like to say we like to make up. We like to make up neat little uh, equations. And we say things like if we want the Holy Spirit. then we need to. We need to do X, X, X. And we have two pages. We can give a seminar on things you need to do in order to receive the Holy Spirit. But Jesus said that the heavenly father is more willing to give the Holy Spirit to those that ask than fathers are or parents are willing to give good gifts to their children. And what we read, if what we read is true, then Jesus has already made He's made every provision necessary. All you and I need to do is ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it says that uh, it's the Holy Spirit that makes effectual what was wrought out by the world's Redeemer on Calvary. Amen. He makes it effectual. But first, let's go to Romans chapter 10. 
You know, sometimes when we, when we study the Bible and we think about God, you don't really see the masterful way that God has planned everything from the very beginning. You know what we're talking about? This was not an afterthought in the mind of God. If, if what we read is, is true, and I believe it is, in Genesis chapter 12, and we linked it with Galatians 3 and also with Joel chapter 2, if this is true, then it means that it, it had always been God's purpose to have an influence that was so great and so strong on every member of the human family that it would bring men and women to the position where they would have the most favorable opportunity to call on the name of the Lord. Revelation chapter 18 prophesies it. It says that the whole earth will be lightened with this glory. In Numbers, God said, as I live, saith the Lord, the earth will be filled with my glory. That is a true representation of who he is. And when that takes place through the power of the Holy Spirit, then men and women will have their opportunity to call on the name of the Lord or to reject him. Romans chapter 10. Brethren. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describes the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise. Say not in your heart who shall ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above or who shall descend into the deep that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. There's no difference between the Jew and the Greek for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. You know, one of my um, one of my former associates, he said to me, and he's an evangelist, travels around, preaches and whatnot. And he said one of the most profound things we were talking about doing evangelistic series. And I'm saying, man, you know, you need to, you know, all of these things need to be done. And if all these things aren't done correctly, I'm not preaching an evangelistic series. Why go out here and and, and the seed has not been sown correctly and and the, the ground hasn't been tilled and broken up? And, you know, why would you waste your time and your efforts when? And, you know, he said something profound to me. I didn't agree with him at first, but then I went back and thought about it. He said, you know what? He said, man, our responsibility is simply to preach the gospel and give men an opportunity to say yes. He said, that's what we're called to do. We're called to preach the gospel and give people an opportunity to say yes. If they accept or reject, that's between them and God. But we must give 
them the opportunity. And I said, man, you're crazy. But then I went back and thought about it. And I looked at it in the light of this right here that we just read in Romans chapter 10. Now, That's right. He most certainly can. Now, let me let me ask you. How many of you have led someone to Jesus? Don't raise your hands. Just think. According to what we just read right there. How long does it take to lead someone to Jesus? Does it take 28 Bible studies to lead somebody to Jesus? Does it take six months to lead somebody to Jesus? Doesn't take long to lead somebody to Jesus. Because what we just read says, and this is, <laughs> this is, this is a result of God pouring out his spirit. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you believe in your heart, that God has raised up Jesus from the dead and you confess it with your mouth. At that moment, the Bible teaches you are saved. Now, let me ask you this question. If I believe that it takes 28 Bible studies for me to lead somebody to Jesus. If I believe it takes a year for me to lead somebody to Jesus. Six months. Why would God entrust me? Why would God entrust me? No, 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 trust me. Why would God fill me with his Holy Spirit? If I'm making the work of salvation more difficult than the Bible says it is. Why would he entrust me? Why would he fill me with the spirit? Why would he give me? You know, sometimes you're like, man. I've been working so hard. I've been doing all of this and I haven't had it. I haven't seen any success. It's because you're not doing what God told you to do. You can in the first Bible study. You can bring someone to Jesus. In the very first. Look, let's kneel down together. Give yourself to the Lord Jesus. Do you believe that he came here to live on this planet Earth and that he died and was resurrected for you? Do you believe it? Yes, I believe it. My brother, my sister, according to the power of God's word and what God promises in his word, you are saved. Amen. Let's kneel down together. Let's pray and give yourself to Jesus. And now from here, guess what I'm going to do? Now I'm going to teach you how to walk with Jesus. I want to teach you what it means to live every day walking hand in hand with the Savior. But how on earth, I mean, think about how we do things now. I try to give somebody 50 Bible studies before I give them an opportunity to accept Jesus. How is all that going to work out when the Lord pours, the latter rain is poured out? How is that going to happen? Do you think that's what's going to happen when the latter rain is poured out? We're going to be giving 50 Bible studies? No. We're going to be standing up preaching the word of God. Men and women are going to be having an experience just like they did here in the book of Acts. What must I do? And it's not just here. Like the Philippian jailer who fell down getting ready to kill him. Say, hey, 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 put down the sword. We are all here. What? How did this happen? Man, who are you 
Tell me what must I do? Come to my house. Come to my house. And, and that night, the Bible says, now it's easy for people to say, I heard people say, well, you know, all the folks here, they were Jews. So they already knew and they had accepted everything except for Jesus Christ. And that's the reason why they could be bastard. What about that Philippian jailer? You're going to tell me he was Jewish, too? Because the Bible says he and his entire household were baptized that same night. They accepted Jesus. And I like the Apostle Paul because he invested. You can't tell me Paul didn't, didn't invest. You can't tell me he was just concerned. You know, we heard it this morning. He wasn't concerned about just baptizing folks. That wasn't his concern. His concern was about bringing people to Jesus. That was his concern. So when the latter rain is poured out, beloved, you and I have to be in the habit of functioning like this. Bringing people to Jesus and then teaching them how to walk with Jesus. Not believing that we must be struck by a bolt of lightning but knowing that the key to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is none other than Jesus himself. As Paul says here in Romans chapter 10, we don't need to pray as though Jesus needs to be brought down from heaven. You know, we get on our knees. Oh, please give us the Holy Ghost. What are you talking about? Paul says it's like you're, you're praying and asking that he come down again. He's already come down. Or praying, you know, some prayer that comes deep from the belly of your, as though he needs to be brought up from the dead again. He's already resurrected. Why are we praying and acting as though the power is not available when the key is Jesus? The key is Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, all power, all power, both in heaven and in earth, is given unto me. And I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to release it on you. And I'm going to release it in the lives of those who you witness to and who you minister to. But don't get smarter than me in the process. Don't think you know better than me in the process. We talk about living according to the scriptures. But then we want to do things our way. <laughs> Then we want to do things our way. Listen, dear friends, the key has already been placed in the door and heaven's treasure house, heaven's storehouse has already been unlocked in the person of Jesus. That's what his promise to Abraham was. That's what the promise that was repeated in Joel was about. That's what we saw a partial fulfillment of in Acts chapter two. And this is what we now are waiting and praying that God will give us. Now I'll say one more word concerning this. And that is, don't think that just because you don't see it in your life, that it's not happening. Mm -hmm. Don't think, well, you know, I don't see anything happening around me, so it must not be happening. That's, that's not how it's going to work, folks. It's not, We're it's not a feeling either. We're told that the latter rain may be poured out all around us and we're unaware. So that means that up in Alberta, the Holy Spirit might be poured out and I'm lamenting what's going on in Detroit in my church. Man, these folks don't want to do right. And yet the Lord has poured out the spirit on Brother John Ross and they're baptizing and people are accepting the truth as it is in Jesus and yielding their hearts to the Savior and walking, learning how to walk with him 
in a day by day experience. And here I am like, where is it? It's possible we could be here at GYC. Praying for the latter rain and God is already pouring it out in Indonesia. Already pouring it out somewhere in Africa. Already pouring it out in China. And we're like, oh, it's going to be so great when the latter rain is putting. God is like, what are you doing? What are you doing? The key has already been placed in a lock. And heaven's storehouse has already been open to each and every one of us. That key is none other than Jesus. That's why we have a powerful privilege to approach the throne based on him. Say, Lord, you know, I learned something else, too. When we pray and we ask God for things, like I mentioned earlier, we don't have to beg him, but we can come and we can say, Lord. Because a lot of times, you know, you you look at your life, if you're like me and you say, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. If the Holy Spirit were poured out on me, I might start a mega church so I can drive a Bentley or something. Yes, come to me. I will heal you. Give me all of your money. You say, I'm not worthy, Lord, and I'm not. And and there's some merit to that. We do need to align ourselves with the will of God. We do. But one thing I learned is when it comes to praying and asking God for things, we don't ask God because we deserve those things. So this is what my prayer sounds like. I say, Lord, please fill me to the point of overflowing with your Holy Spirit. Possess me. I don't want to possess you. I want you to possess me. And fill me to the point of overflowing. Lord, I know that I'm not worthy. But I don't come to you because of my worthiness. I come to you because Jesus is worthy. I don't come to you because of my righteousness. I have none. I come to you because of the righteousness of Jesus. I don't come to you because I'm holy. I come to you because of Jesus. He is holy. I come to you because he deserves. I come to you because of all that he is. And I'm asking you to give me this experience through Jesus. So don't let the devil trick you because I know how it happens. Some of us don't even pray and ask God for things because we look at our lives and we say, oh, how can God answer that prayer? I'm not right with God. God won't even listen to that prayer until I do this, this, that and the other. Don't come based on your righteousness. See, that's where you're messed up already. You don't come and you don't get anything from the Lord because you're good. You get it because Jesus is good. And when we come in that spirit, claiming the promise, knowing that God has already made available to each and every one of us all that we will ever need. Then the ultimate fulfillment of Joel chapter two can be experienced in our lives. I'm not even to the point where I'm talking about it can be experienced. No, I don't care about what's going on everywhere. I'm talking about in our lives. The Holy Spirit will be poured out on you. And if you're the only one in your church, he will be poured out in you on your life. He will bless your efforts. Men and women will call on the name of the Lord. You will lead them to the Savior. If you're the only one in your family, if you're the only one in your church, if you're the only one in your country, the spirit will be poured out on you if you're willing. If you're willing and if you claim the promise as it is in Jesus. So the key has been placed in the lock. Heaven's treasure house, heaven's storehouse 
has been unlocked. The key is Jesus. The gift is the gift that brings all of the blessings in his train. That is the Holy Spirit. And it's our privilege to be possessed by him today. It's our privilege to be filled by him today and to be used. You ever heard somebody call on the name of the Lord? You ever heard that? Ever heard somebody weep and say, I just want to be changed? You ever listen to somebody say, I just want to be, I, I just want to be different? And at those times, we can say, there is a Savior. There is a Savior. Any questions? Any comments? The key to the promise. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's every tense. <laughs> We're saved while being saved. That's it. So God gives us credit as though everything has been done while continuing to work with us on a daily basis. Any point we can turn from that. But I, you know, what? I like to liken it to this. I have a 10 year old son and he's you know, he has his challenges. Sometimes he doesn't want to listen or whatnot. And um, when my son disobeys me. Do you think that I throw him out of my house? Why not? He didn't obey me. I gave him a direct command. I said, you go clean your room. I came upstairs. He's playing with his Legos. What are you doing? Get out of this house right now. Don't come back. Take everything. Oh, that's right. You don't have anything. Get out just like you are. (laughs) Is that how I treat my son? No. There, there will come a day. There will come a day. But I don't treat my son like that at 10 years of age. And God doesn't treat us like that either. So even though, even though we make wrong choices and even though we will directly sometimes disobey God, God does not throw us out as it were. He treats us as sons. That's what Paul taught in Galatians. He said, you're not servants. You're not slaves. That's what you do with a slave. A slave who's disobedient, you get rid of, but not a son. When a son is disobedient, you patiently work with that son. So even though we choose sometimes to be disobedient, God is patient with us. There's a time when that patience will be exhausted. There's a time, but we don't know when that is. So I say we... (laughs) Late 20s? What you talking about? (laughs) Yes. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. It's not. It's not like that. Like no matter what you do, you got an automatic pass. Obviously, that's what the judgment is about. That's why I said God gives us credit as though the process is complete while working with us on a daily basis. And the judgment says, you know, <clears throat> are you worthy to keep your um, your fit? Are you worthy to keep your title to heaven? You know, essentially. So, you know, I'm using some spirit of prophecy language. You got a title and fitness and whatnot. Yes. I, I used to struggle with that question too. I remember one time somebody had taken me through this scripture. I think it's in Romans 5 10. And um, it says, mm. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So there was a reconciliation, but it's a choice that I have to make to accept it. 
I like that. I like that. She, she quoted Romans 5.10, and it's powerful as well in terms of that, that, that son being thrown out of the house. If God treated us, if God gave us his son while we were his enemies, when we were his enemies, shouldn't we expect that he would treat us? Uh, shouldn't we expect that he would treat us even better now that we've become his sons and daughters? Much more. That's why in Romans chapter five, I think three or four times it uses that phrase much more, much more, much more. And the emphasis is placed there just to remind us, look, if you were if you were an enemy of God, when you hated God, if you were a sinner and God did this for you, man, you should expect that he would treat you even better if that's possible. Obviously, with God is not. But you should you, you should expect even more from God. So so in answer to to the question, what about. Um, uh, um, at the moment when I, the, when I made the statement that at that moment you're saved, does that mean once saved, always saved? No, that's not what it means. We are saved while being saved. God gives us credit as though the process is complete while working with us day by day through that process. And God is rich in mercy. But if we continue to refuse and kick and we are unwilling to walk hand in hand with the Savior, then ultimately we have we have chosen not to enter into his kingdom. We have chosen not to uh, uh, um, to cooperate with him. And so we've chosen also not to be saved. So um, I, I hope and pray. Did you have a question? Yes, go ahead. Okay. Her question is, is it possible to be rebaptized a second time? Or if you are baptized a second time, does that mean that your first baptism didn't count? All right. Or does that nullify your first baptism, so to speak? Um, you know, rebaptism is um, rebaptism is a matter of the heart. It's a personal matter. Uh, let me tell you something about the importance of your first baptism. When you are baptized, what that means is that heaven identifies you with Jesus Christ. You receive a new identity at the point of your baptism. That's why in the New Testament over and over again, you hear terms like with Christ, in Christ, with Christ, you're buried with Christ, so forth and so on. So I lose my identity and I take on uh, a Christ identity. It's like I'm, I'm given a new passport. All right. I'm now a son or daughter of God, a member of the kingdom, and my identity is merged with Christ. Christ's death becomes mine. So when I was baptized, that's what the Bible says in Romans 6, I was buried with him so that I could be raised with him, so that I can walk with him in newness of life. So that identity has been merged. But it is, it is very possible after a person is baptized. First of all, I believe a lot of people don't understand that, and yet they're baptized because I'm accepting a number of beliefs. But baptism, you're not actually baptized. I know people, this might be strange, but, you know, we, we talk about being baptized into the Seventh-day Adventist Church. No, you're baptized into Christ. You're baptized into Christ. And being baptized into Christ means that you are now a member of his remnant church. I'm talking about in our 
Adventist context, of course. But we are baptized into Jesus Christ, and he is the truth, and so forth and so on. So many people don't understand that. I didn't. I was baptized at 13. And, you know, I said, hey, I believe all this stuff. That's great. But I didn't know about the identity change and whatever with Christ. And so uh, I went on ahead, and the devil just whooped me and rolled me up and spit me out. And I began to live a life that was completely opposite of um, the country that I was supposed to have belonged to. So the Lord convicted me at a time in my life. Um, the Lord convicted me that because my life had really never been merged with Christ, my identity had never really been lost in Christ or immersed in Christ, that, uh, that rebaptism was, was the direction for me to go. But there is also, there is also the communion service foot washing, um, because there are times that, you know, uh, when one is bathed, then you get out, you walk about, there's dirt and whatnot that you come in contact with throughout the day. And uh, as the days grow into weeks and months and so forth and so on, one, uh, one has challenges and, and whatnot, failures in life. And that foot washing service represents a higher type of cleansing. So, when we make mistakes and when we have gone astray, it does not always mean that we need to go and be rebaptized because God has provided a way for us to have a higher type of cleansing in the foot washing service. That's why Peter said, you know, Peter asked in John chapter 13, he's like, man, if you know, wash me all of you. Jesus said, come on, man. No, no. He that is bathed, he that is bathed or he that is baptized, dipped, cleansed, need not save to wash his feet. And so the foot washing service serves for a lot of that. But, um, you know, what I run into a lot is I run into people who never really have understood what baptism means in the first place. Um, but even then, even then, the Lord can work with us where we are. I, I, I try not to tell people if they're convicted to get rebaptized, I don't tell them don't get rebaptized. But I explain to them what baptism means. And I explain why the foot washing service is there. And um, then I say, let the spirit lead you in what direction you need to go in. I'm sorry, does that mean that um, it's possible to be in the water but not baptized? Because it's not just what the pastor says or that doesn't really count as a true baptism. Uh, you know, I would have to, I don't want to say yay or nay, and I don't understand the details behind what you're asking. So um, if, if it's all right with you, maybe I'll talk to you a little bit afterwards, and you can explain more in detail what you mean, and then I can try to help you and give you an answer from there. All right? All right, yes. Mm. Amen. 
Amen. Amen. And that was Steps to Christ, page. Steps to Christ, page 64. We may often have to bow down and weep at the foot of the cross. Do not despair. We are not cast off. We are not cast off. Praise the Lord for that. Um, I pray that each one of you would, um, would, would be recipients, as well as myself, of all that heaven offers us in the person of the Holy Spirit, knowing that Jesus has opened the way and um, all power is available. Bow your heads with me, please. Loving Father and our God, we're thankful again for, thankful for Jesus, because without him, what we have talked about today would not be possible. All families of the earth really and truly are indebted based on what we've learned, are indebted to Jesus. Now we can understand why um, the servant of the Lord said that every loaf of bread is stamped with the cross of Calvary. We are thankful today that your promise to Abraham met partial fulfillment at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. That what was prophesied in Joel met partial fulfillment there also. But because it was only partially fulfilled, we are sure, we are certain today that you will ultimately fulfill your promise. Lord, we want to be recipients. We want to be possessed by your Holy Spirit. We want you to use us. We want to cooperate with you. Have mercy on us, Lord. Forgive us for making things more difficult than they have to be. Help us to get back to the simplicity of the gospel. And I pray that when we follow the patterns that are laid out for us in Scripture, that you would help us to see the success that we read about there. Lord, I know even now as I pray for each and every person that's here under the sound of my voice, that there is a tremendous harvest awaiting them at their homes, their schools, even in their families. I pray that you would so fill each one of us that when our family members, our friends, our co-workers call on the name of the Lord, that we may be able to take them to Jesus. Thank you for hearing and answering this prayer. And thank you for being faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.